For missing the target from there, you want bloody shooting. I can see no point in you taking corners. I much prefer you sticking it in. You find them, you sign them, you handle them. Get in there. That's what I pay you for. Now, Clough, I've had enough. Stop it. <laughs> well, are you going to stop it? <laughs> no, I want to fight him. If you could take one memory away with you from what you did when you were playing, what would it be? Uh, when I did Kung Fu and the Oligan. Really? Yeah, because these kind of people don't have to be to the game. Now you're joking no, I'm, now. I'm joking. <laughs> so I think maybe it's uh, like, a, like a dream for some people, you know, sometimes to kick these kind of people. So I did it for them. So if you had the chance, you'd do it again? Sometimes you? the people, you know, just feel the pressure on their, in their job, in their business, everywhere. They want to do something, they cannot do it. When somebody does something, they, it's, like, it's a kind of freedom. Today, I didn't see the desire to win. Today, I didn't see it. Some of you play better when you're angry with me. So if you hate me, hate me, guys. No problem at all. But every single training session, every single game, you have to be there ready. I know your quality is there. I know you are talented players. But to become a top, top team, you have to learn to play football with courage. The best word I can say but uh, will describe this was boom. <laughs> Ooh, what was this? It was really good. Um, Shoot the ball in the goal. Yeah, and don't concede one and then everything is okay. Um, I heard Bayern lost. <laughs> but I think that's not too important for us. Eh? I don't think I've ever gone out on the pitch and if I ever had a bad game, at some stage I looked at the manager and went, well, that's your fault, you know, whatever about tactics and systems. Roll your sleeves up and do a job. People say, you should have bought stuff outside of football. I don't think you should. I think football should be your number one priority. It should be. Focus on the game. Don't hide behind your cars or your tattoos or your girlfriends or your agents. Play the game. These are the same players that threw Marino under the bus. And they will do exactly the same to Ollie. Leopards don't change their spots. There's too many bluffers at this club. He said it got a bit heated after the game, I think, against Everton. I heard they were actually throwing their hair gel at each other. I would say personally that if you're going to look at the ultimate British sporting maverick it's probably Brian Clough mm. I mean it's hard to argue against him in a way because his career footballing career was was pretty good even there was like second division fantastic goal scorer brilliant striker he got caps for he got a couple of caps for England because he was such a good striker even though he was in the second division playing his football might have gone on to be a much more successful footballer but he got an injury young didn't he yeah, he did. Yeah, but the, the pure strength of his personality and what he did as a manager—it was absolutely. I still think to this day is quite remarkable, really. Yeah, it's a you one-off. Know. But I mean, what what would you say that the secret is to Clough's success? Why was he a good manager? I think he was because he was very. I think again, he, he was. I, I don't know if he was mercurial as a person. Uh, I suppose you could say he was mercurial in a way. Uh, and we, we, we were saying in our conversation beforehand about a list of sporting mavericks weren't we that you know I'd look at someone like say Alex Higgins as being mercurial you know mm. changing his personalities quite quickly and I don't know if it was that with him I think it's the fact that he was he was consistently inconsistent in a way from what I can see you never quite knew what he was going to do or say next well that's it I and, think I think his secret was he did scare people I think he was an odd yeah. character and An people, odd person. And he was a bit of a bully by all accounts, you know, and uh, he never believed in tactics. You know, he said tactics were a load of rubbish. He said it's all about the players. But what I think one of his strengths was is he could spot a good player. He bought people from lower leagues, didn't he? He made them absolutely brilliant players like John Robertson, John McGovern, Martin O'Neill, all these players. Oh, amazing, amazing. And I think John that Robertson, was, I mean, that wow. was probably wow. one of his main strengths is that he could pick a player. And, uh, Indeed. 
And he, and he kept it simple, you know, he wanted his players to play with elegance, uh, with to entertain the crowd, and he set them very clear goals and expectations, and he gave them confidence because, you know, Forrest were, they weren't one of the greats, were they? They'd never won anything before, I don't think, or, or, or had much success. But when he came along, he made them believe that they could win the European Cup, which was remarkable for a club like Forrest. I think I'm right in saying that in a, in three or four seasons he went from Forest. He joined Forest when they were in the second division. He right. brought, took them to the first division and they didn't win it straight away. Then they end up winning the equivalent of the Premier League, and then back to back European cups. So basically, they win the Premier League and then they win the Champions League back to back. Little Nottingham Forest. Not even the biggest bloody club in Nottingham, because no. not Notts County is bigger. Probably we were regarded as the bigger club, but more mm. historic in a way. What an inc- and then he did it prior to that. He did it at Derby. That's right, yeah. So yeah. Derby also were a kind of struggling club, and they won the fucking league, and they nearly won it the follow. In fact, they did win it again under the the guy who took uh, Dave Mackay, mm. who took over from him. I mean, this is an amazing football story. The only thing close to it is Leicester. Is Leicester winning in yeah. 2016? That's right, yeah. You know, but even that is, <clears throat> I don't think quite the same because modern parlance is different. There's a lot more money. He put together a lot of journeyman footballers and people that he saw saw something in. But also Taylor, of course, was a key cog in that machine. Yeah, the the pair of them together were a, a brilliant team. But the Maverick personality and that's what I think we mean by sporting maverick we're talking about the persona aren't we yeah it's fourth brilliant for a quote wasn't he he's got some very famous quotes like uh you know I wouldn't say I'm the best manager in the business but I'd certainly put myself in the top one absolutely (laughs) that's brilliant and the other one I love so much is when Brian Moore went uh, so, uh, Brian, what would you do if someone, a player, had some uh, disagreement with you? And Well, Brian, what I would do is I'd bring him into the office. I'd say, sit down, lad, have a drink. We'd sit and have a chat. Uh, we'd talk for about 15 minutes. And then at the end of it, um, uh, we'd agree I was right. Yeah, that's... <laughs> he had an answer for everything. Mm. It was fantastic. I love it. It's interesting the way things panned out at Leeds, really, because that was him going into an established club. Oh, yeah. Very strong personalities, big egos there. And they didn't take no, kindly man. at all to his ways. Um, no, no. The fact that he came in, you, called them he a said load to of him, did he? he said, now, young men, listen to me, Bremner. Yes, I'm looking at you, Maidley. All of you, you can take all your trophies and your pots and pans. And as far as I'm concerned, you can throw them in the bin because you didn't win them fairly. <laughs> this was the biggest club in Britain, mm. you know. But he but was he very principled. He did believe in in, yeah. in, in being um, sportsmanlike and being gentlemen on the pitch, you know. And that, that's beautiful what he they did play. They played beautiful football, didn't yeah, they? They played they great football. They were yeah, great to yeah. watch. I loved watching them as a kid. Yeah. Loved Knott's Forest oh, as a kid. Absolutely, I did, yeah. I remember... In the 80s, I think, when they had like players like Peter Weird and Archie Gemmell. And what I always loved about Forrest was the kit, because I think they were the, one of the first teams to wear the Adidas kit. Oh, which yeah. Which was very European at the time, wasn't it? And, I'd, uh, love a, I'd love a, an old 1978 Forrest kit, or seven, yeah. you know what I mean? It's dead shiny as well. It was really shiny. Dead shiny, yeah. Mm. Fucking great. Mm. I'd love that. Like you say, they played, and John Robertson was immense. I loved John Robertson so mm. much because he didn't fit the mould of your like no. super fit footballer. And I loved it when he said when they played um, Hamburg, he he was he, he was a it was a prophecy. It, it, you can see it honestly. It's on YouTube. He goes, "What makes you think you might win, Brian?" He goes, "I'll tell you what makes me think we might win is we've got a little fat man there on the wing called Robertson." And he's going to duck inside and plant it in the back of the net on his left foot. That's what makes me think we're going to win. That's what happened. Really? I didn't know that. There's, there's a quote that, honestly, going mm. to, there's a, there's, I might be misquoting slightly, but it, it's not far off what he yeah. says. There's a fellow called Robertson. He's going to run rings round them. And, of yeah. course, Keegan played for Hamburg. Keegan, footballer of the air. Another great British... <laughs> 
I think we'll have to have a standalone podcast on Kev. Oh, King Kev. I love Kev yeah. with his hair. I live quite near to Kev's old house. Yeah, Kev yeah. L- lived in a place near where I live, in North Wales, a place called Kilken. And I quite often go past his house, his big white house in the hills of Kilken. You know, lovely man, Kev. Is, lovely man. Yeah. Great, great man. Superstars. You know, that missed opportunity in 1982. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Score the fucking goal, Kevin! Someone belted him, didn't they, while he was on the floor? It looked like a belt. Yeah, Paul Mariner. Paul Mariner pulled his hair. He, he virtually picked him up by his fucking hair. He's fucking perm. Yeah. Get up, Kev. Fucking loser. <laughs> we will do one on Kev, I think. But, uh, yeah, the thing with Clough, I mean, we have to talk about his flaws, really, because he was implicated in a lot of the bung stuff, wasn't he? And uh, there's a few incidents that are reported as fact in the, in the Damn United book where he basically tries to pocket... Uh, or he does actually pocket loads of gate receipts one day because... The way they used to do it, I think he was at Derby, is that they just used to get the money over the counter and they'd stuff it in these big bins. And one of them went missing. And uh, (laughs) somebody at the club, it was probably the the chairman or one of the directors, was very confident that Clough had nicked it. And he basically said, he he gave him like a day or two to bring it back. And Clough went, all right, then I will. (laughs) Because, you know, he was was bound for rights. You couldn't get more forgiving fans. I mean, Brian Clough ran on the pitch and thumped two of his fans. Oh, he, who, he was more than two, Dave. He was he was twatting them till some, I don't even think someone stopped him. But until he ran out of steam, or until he got out of his way, he was he was on a rampage, wasn't he? Which That's was so funny. bizarre because that that bizarre. came. They were Forest fans, weren't they? That's what I mean. His own fans. That's what I'm saying. And they and just they won a they just won a cup, so the fans were on the pitch peacefully celebrating. Uh, not a cup, they won a tie, didn't they? But um, and yeah, there he is coming out of the dugout, belting them. Roy Keane always talks very highly of him, and Roy Keane oh, yeah. isn't isn't one to mince his words, is he? So it, when it's coming from Keane about yeah. what a great manager he was, he was inspiring, he was dead good to the players. You know, you can completely believe that. He's barely got a good word to say about Ferguson. No, well, I love Roy Keane, and I think it's completely right too. in his um, analysis think- of Ferguson. But I think he, he shoots from the hip. He says it how it is, you know. Yeah. You know, in a way, there'd be so much admiration if, you know, you're getting grilled by the media and you just basically tell them to go fuck themselves. Yeah, exactly. Because this is the thing that we all have had enough of. This is why so many people are turning their backs on the the media, of turning their backs on the mainstream, you know. Mm. Y- your team, City, you know, Man City, you know, you've got to say you've got a, a guy there in Guardiola and, and in Liverpool... Well done, Liverpool fans. You've got, if not the best manager in, in the Premier League, you've got one of the best, mm. possibly the second best after Guardiola. The two, Those two guys are amazing because yeah, they are... There's two sporting mavericks right fucking there. Mm. They're incredible. Both of them, the energy, the personality... The sh- it shines through and they do and give it back to the press don't they you know when they're yeah, getting overly criticised they're saying look yeah. this is football you obviously don't understand how football is sometimes you know yeah. the best teams in the world will always lose matches it's not a crisis it's just some of that happens you know it's nice to hear educated people like Guardiola and Klopp who just say no that you're wrong you're exaggerating this this isn't how it is you can imagine from the the, the clops of this world and what have you that there's more they, they must feel at times that there's more people on the mainstream media fucking gravy train than there is in football or you know in management there's more people ex-players pundits you name it opinionating opinionating and you think they think to themselves fucking crit- critics what about being in the middle of it yeah. doing the job yeah. doing it Making it happen, really fucking doing it, and you can't blame them. Tell them to fuck off. Very few of them have got the track record of those two. I mean, yeah, who's got the track no record? I mean, has. who's got the track record of Guardiola? No, no one's got the track yeah. record of fucking yeah. Guardiola. Yeah. But he's such a a good sport as well, Guardiola, isn't he? And uh, I think it's very refreshing. I think to have Klopp and Guardiola when you we've had an era of the moaning ones like Ferguson and Wenger. And Benitez, yeah. you know, yeah. always blaming the referee or blaming somebody else. Yeah. I uh, just hate the fact that Klopp manages Liverpool. 
Well, yeah, you being a ex-Red United fan, well, you know, you're never going to enjoy I that. I mean, I, you know, they're our biggest rivals now, but... Um, I'm, I live in an I area like surrounded I like by Liverpool yeah. fans league, and now I'm a, just a dreadful plastic red these days. You know, the truth of the matter is I'm not a... I don't affiliate. My son is a... He loves Man City, and he's a smashing little footballer, and he, he's dead excited by it all. And I've been hugely in admiration. If that makes me a traitor, so be it. I don't give a fuck. You know, the bottom line is that I watched All or Nothing, the City story. And I was hugely impressed by the team spirit, the effort, Guardiola's um, enthusiasm, Mm. team talk, Vincent Company's leadership, as well as Guardiola's leadership. You've got to be very impressed in a very high-octane, high-money situation you know. It's the fact that the football is so good as well, isn't it? There is no compromise on the way they play football. He's definitely a revolutionary type manager, and he will go down in history as that. You know, he's oh, changed yeah. the game. The records that were broken is, is quite astonishing. But even a lay person to watching football like me, when you saw Barcelona and this kind of pressing game of constantly harrowing people on the ball to win the ball back, yeah, and I then... think he set a rule of like. When you lose the ball, you've got to win it back within three or four seconds. And that Incredible. was a massive part of Barcelona's success. Nobody else was really using that skill to that level. Nobody in football, it, it was revolutionary. When they when Barcelona, now you needed the players to do it, of course, but my God, did they have the players to do it. And what's very interesting, talking to a colleague of mine at work, when he was talking about that, was what he does, Guardiola, his, he... Only in the very final third of the field does he allow freedom. Everybody has to be drilled up until that point so that they always revert to their positions. They press, 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 win the ball back, revert to their positions. And only in the final third is the freedom allowed. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So that what he does is he allows the expression in the penalty area of the opposition but prior to that, it's this discipline, discipline of pass and move, pass and move, win the ball back, win the ball back, pass and move. Incredible foresight and discipline. Hmm. So he needs the players who can do it. In his first season when City finished, I think it was third, and things didn't go well for Guardiola, there was a lot of pressure for him to change his ways. You know, he was coming here and playing the Barcelona way, and people thought that was a bit naive of him. And I remember him... Like saying, no, I'll never change, I'll never change. And I remember being a fan, being quite annoyed about that, thinking that it's just it's just a vanity project for you, you know. And we're not winning games. We're getting thrashed 4-0 by Everton and I think Leicester beat us heavily in, in that season. So it didn't seem to be working. And then the second season, we won the league, didn't we? Uh, Amazing. So Guardiola knows that skill will win out. If, if he can get the right people who will listen to his ideas and then they've got the skill... Listen, guys, you're the guys. You can do it, guys. Guys, guys, listen to me, guys. Listen, guys, I'm going to make myself small like a crab, guys, in my nice little jumper and my tight little jeans. And I'm look at me. I'm still slim like a footballer. I'm as fit as a fucking fiddle, guys. Guys, guys, you can do it, guys. Yeah. You will win, guys. I love it. The man is a legend. And yeah. this is me as a United fan saying that. Yeah. And Klopp is too. They're brilliant psychologists. Klopp was a brilliant psychologist. Mm. And I just want to say one thing, going back to Klopp. Klopp went up to one of his players once and he started singing, Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars. And he went, I'm a good singer, young man, aren't I? I'm a really good singer. He went, yeah, yeah, you are, Mr. Klopp, you are. And he said, you're a really good footballer. You're a great footballer. Now go out there and show them what to do. Yeah. And it's things like that when you can just make that bam impact on an individual. I can't remember who the player was. He said, I went out there 10 feet tall. So the man management skills of someone like Brian Club, Guardiola, Klopp, whatever Magic Ferguson had, you know, amazing. Just a story to end the Clough, uh, the Clough section. We've talked about how he punched some of his fans. There was a famous story about when he actually punched one of his players. And this was towards the end of his reign at Forest, where, I don't know if you remember uh, Mark Crossley, the goalkeeper. 
Quite a chubby, indeed, uh, chubby yeah, guy. A bit of a John Robertson lookalike, actually. Indeed, indeed. But a yeah. decent keeper. Clough was very unhappy that he saw his goalkeeper shaking hands with the referee after the game. So <laughs> he hung Crossley from a peg in the dressing room and punched him in the stomach. <laughs> but I have heard other stories of him just slyly twatting his players. You know, if he thinks a player's getting a bit too big for his boots and mouthing off in the dressing room, he's just gone up to them and winded them. <laughs> well, here's the flip side. You know what you were saying about the contradiction, the actual hypocrisy of some of these people as well. But somehow it all, in the mix of it all, it all works. Uh, Roy Keane was talking about Ferguson, a story about Ferguson, and about Cantona. So we go over to Cantona. And apparently Cantona got on the team bus in the suit, but was wearing trainers. Oh, yeah. And everyone else. And apparently Ferguson would have fined if, if Lee Sharp had got on, if, if Roy Keane had Lee got Sharp, on. Lee Sharp, didn't he? Yeah, if Ryan Giggs had got on, if Roy Keane had got on, if Gary Neville had got on, Phil Neville had got on, with trainers in the suit, he would have fined them a week's wages, you know, a lot of money. Yeah. Fined them. Eric got on. Someone said, oh, hey, boss, what's going on here? Yeah, Eric's got trainers. Grassy him up. He went, exactly, grass him up. Apparently Ferguson just went, oh, he's, he's French. And he just <laughs> let it go. He just let yeah. it go. And they all laughed, and it was a big joke at the time. But that was where, and I'm not saying, I don't think Ferguson was the kind of sporting maverick in the way. He, he isn't. He's not someone no. we want to really talk about in that way. You can talk about the hairdryer. Well, well, he was practical, wasn't he? He was he practical. Was practical. He, he, let, was... he let that go because he knew he how important it. Eric was. And Eric he, was a sensitive person who could blow at any moment. And he wouldn't have yeah. taken a bollocking very well, probably. He would have He's thinking was, he says, you know what, I'll find you because you're a jumped up little shit. But mm. Eric will win me the league. Yeah. Eric is the man. He's an artist. He's crazy. He's, he's amazing. Well, and we're going to get on to Eric now, I think, Dave. I think. Oh, Eric let's talk about Eric. He's definitely falls in the category of sporting maverick. And yeah, again, Eric and United in the 90s, uh, I hated obviously being a City fan team <laughs> and win everything. And uh, I, I did at the time think Cantona was a twat. I thought he was overrated. I thought he was a cheat. Uh, but obviously, now I can look back and realise what a brilliant maverick he was and a brilliant player, you know. Uh, so, you know, Lee, my... can I just say, Lee, Lee, I love you, Lee. You know I love you so much. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for saying that. Because I know that is, you're a big, big City fan. And that's taken a lot in a way. But that's beautiful, man. Because he, he really was, wasn't he? He really was something else. He was. And it's not surprising how revered he is now. You know, he, he's an absolute legend. I'm is there a statue of him? I'm, I don't think there is, is there? There fucking think. should be. No. They probably won't ever be, but... Eric Cantona changed everything for United. That's, yeah. I truly believe that. Absolutely. Well, the, it was the first year they won the league, wasn't it? I Absolutely. Think. Am I right in who saying that in 92? Who, who won the league before Leeds. United, Leeds, Eric Cantona played for Leeds that mm. year and they won the league. And then United won when he, you know, amazing. The guy was amazing. He sort of tread the path towards the Champions League wings and all. I know that he wasn't involved then, but all this talk about class of 92 and all that. And that's great. Class of 92 is great, but Eric was the king. And that was a golden period. And that's the thing that I will always think about with Man United, that period with Cantona. Because I just thought he was amazing. And he brought something completely different, didn't he? I mean, I'm not saying United weren't entertaining, they were. But Eric provided a completely different dimension. It was his unpredictability, wasn't it? It was the fact that he could just do things other players couldn't. And he'd always surprise you. And he was a... He never seemed to me to be a player that possessed much pace. No. But the amount of goals he scored for United, and important goals as well. Isn't it weird that there's two Frenchmen that stand out as just quite remarkable footballers? And Eric Cantona's one, and Zinazine Zidane is Z the other. Zidane is probably my favourite. Oh, of me all too, time. baby. Just yeah. something unique. The way he plays the game, just different. Mm. Again, not blessed with pace, really. Just. Different when he played for Juventus, I think mm. that to me was his his best period. When you, I used to watch them Champions League games, you had Del Piero in the side. I think Conte was in the side. That was a brilliant oh. Juventus side, and they Amazing. never won the European Cup, I don't think. But uh, crazy to think, 
And he was another maverick. Obviously, he's got a bit of a dark side with his headbutt. They would never have got close to getting to the final or winning. They should have won it. Mm. They should have won it. For the second time, he would have been a, a two-time World Cup winner. Is in his Dan. I think yeah, Italian, Italy, Italy it, were just there. Was, was defensive. Spoiling tactics weren't they, into wind, wind players up. But I mean, Cantona, because obviously Cantona had a big career in France before he actually came to England, but mm. I was just looking at his uh, list of his misdemeanours. Oh, uh, God. Because uh, he was a bit of a prodigy, Cantona, and he, did, uh, he, he had many number of clubs in France before he actually came to England, didn't he? He did uh, indeed, yeah. So he was uh, fined for punching a teammate in the face. <laughs> he, he kung fu'd an opponent, which resulted in a three-month suspension. Okay, he also booted the ball at the crowd when he got a bit of jip, threw his shirt off after being subbed and stormed off. Now, now this is my favourite. He insulted the French national football coach on television. Uh, <laughs> and I believe he called him a bag of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and that got him an international ban for a whole year. Uh, he had a fight with another teammate and threw his boots in the teammate's face. That resulted in half the team demanding that he was sacked for that and he was banned from the ground for 10 days. He also <laughs> threw he threw the ball at a ref, got banned for a month, but then it got doubled because he called each member of the committee who banned him an idiot. He walked up to them to the face and just called them an idiot one by one. He then announced his retirement from football. And I think it was uh, Franz Beckenbauer, the manager of his club at the time, that persuaded him to come out of retirement. I mean, he must have only been about 25 then. And then he couldn't escape controversy, Cantona, because he kept being loaned out and every club he went to, something happened. So it was actually a psychoanalyst and Gerald Houllier that advised him to go to England. Wow. And... uh, he was first offered to Graeme Souness's Liverpool, but Souness was worried about harmony in the dressing room, you know, because he came with this oh, yeah. ridiculous oh, yeah. reputation. Oh, yeah, it's hilarious that Souness, Graeme Souness, would worry about harmony in the dressing room. Anyway, that's probably on. why his team was uh, did so badly, didn't it? Because there wasn't enough fight in there. No, See, no characters. Was the hardest fucking player, yeah. ever. Yeah. But anyway. Uh, so then he had a trial at Sheffield Wednesday and uh, Trevor Francis was the manager then, but uh, he didn't fancy him for some reason. And, oh yeah, uh, I wonder why. I don't Fit know. I think, I think there might have been some doubts about his fitness, maybe. Or no, yeah. I think it possibly was they couldn't afford his wages, which right. was surprises me at the time because, you know, you wouldn't have thought that player in France was paid more then. I suppose it was the beginning of the Premier yeah, League, he's wasn't probably it? Like, he just probably went forward and went, I want to be paid £40,000 a week to play for your snivelling fucking I think he club. ended up getting paid. Leeds snapped him up, Howard Wilkinson, and they paid him seven grand a week, I believe it was. And that was a lot in them days. A um, lot of money, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair play. Now, he didn't often feature in that team that eventually won the league because for, I think Wilkinson preferred big Lee Chapman up front with Rob Wallace. <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? Uh, Lee Chapman against Eric Cantona. He was a, he was a, he, fair play, I'm not, he was Yeah, a, but he was a bit of a donkey. big daft stra- <laughs> donkey. One. But I think Cantona stayed with Lee Chapman, Leslie Ash, his wife. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Lee Chapman. They were quite very, pals, weren't they? Very hot. Well, I don't know, Dave, because I've heard, and I don't know how true this is, that Oh. That Cantona slept with his wife. Oh, I, I, do you know what? I remember this rumour. Yeah, yeah. Leslie, why are you bother with Big Donkey Lee when you can have Donkey downstairs with Eric? <laughs> oh, God. That's how he ended up with United, but it was a bit of a fluke, wasn't it? The chairman, I think it was, of Leeds was inquiring about Dennis Irwin. He phoned Martin Edwards, and Ferguson was having a meeting with him at the time. And Ferguson just said, oh, well, we're not selling Irwin, but just ask about Eric, right? Because I think towards the end of the season before, or it may have been in mid-season, the start of the new season, that Cantona wasn't getting picked. I think he was benched a lot. So maybe Ferguson spotted an opportunity there. And uh, the chairman said, well, I don't know, I'll ask Howard. And Howard sanctioned it and said, yeah, we'll flog him. I think yeah, they, you, you can made have a bit him. of a you profit on him. I think they made about £300,000 on him, but... Yeah, but destroyed his fucking career, Wilkinson. Yeah. Because you made a profit 
and you fucking lost out. Well, this is Howard Wilkinson who bought Thomas Brolin, one of the best players in Italy at the time, for, for a record fee, and then didn't play him. Exactly. He put him on the bench so he could get dead fat. No, I don't rate him. I don't rate him. Yeah, fuck off. Wilkinson, you knobend. So anyway, uh, you know, Cantona, great success at United, but obviously the thing that I think sets him apart oh. was when he kung fu'd that Crystal oh. Palace fan. In it was 19... beautiful. 95, was it? 94, it was... 95? In fact, we should ha- all have it in our houses looped in slow motion against that fat, red-faced fucking Palace fan. Matthew Simmons. <laughs> what was his name again? Matthew Simmons. Matthew Simmons, I hope you're listening to this, you fucking fat, red-faced cunt. <laughs> As Eric Studs <laughs> launched into your face, you idiot. I thought it was brilliant. I heard it on the radio and I can hear Alan Green's voice. Oh, you know, now, oh, Eric Cantona has done something outrageous. He's, he's kicked a fan in the face. Was it Alan Green? I'm not sure it was. I, don't know. I remember was? I remember the local radio commentator, Tom Tyrrell, who was a right sycophantic red. It probably was. I, in my head, I hear Alan Green yeah. because Alan Green is a fucking... Miserable uh, bastard. Miserable fuck who has a go about everybody in football. Mm. But I just, I can't wait to see this. Oh, fuck, please show this on the news. I've got to see this. Well, it was Cantona. on the news. It was, it was everywhere, wasn't it? You couldn't it's move everywhere. it. Everyone everywhere. Everywhere. Get sour face. Mm. So, just on that, I think I'm going to play a clip games on of how the tonight. incident was reported. Of them, some of the most right, extraordinary the scenes yeah. witnessed at a football ground this time. You hear that? Yeah. And it's a red card. It's a red card. And there are people pointing at him and cheering. And not for the first time in English football, the ugly side of Eric Cantona's game has come to the fore. <laughs> Eric, oh, my. Oh, and Cantona has got involved with a fan in the front row. And Cantona leapt with both feet into the front row. Frankly, I've never <laughs> yes. seen anything like it. Yes, and from Cantona, whatever the provocation, conduct like that is unacceptable and a disgrace. Oh, God. Comments were exchanged, <laughs> uh, but he did no more than jump two-footed over the barrier and kick the person straight oh, in the this stomach. Is Eric Haddock, the, the chap who got up to retaliate, and Cantona did no more than punched him as did well. Did no more. Uh, yeah. Should have done yeah. more. In all the years I've been a supporter, I've never Looked ever seen well. or experienced anything quite like that at a football match before. Well, Gary Lineker is with us. First reaction to that, Gary? Well, it's the most one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in a football match. I think that it was amazing, Gary. <laughs> It was, Gary. It was fucking amazing. Well summed up, sir. Well done, sir. Yeah. You, you thought that was brilliant, didn't you, Gary? So yeah. didn't we. Yeah. Well, <laughs> funnily enough, his face doesn't look like he's very happy. Maybe. <laughs> he's, he's looking very serious. What was the context of you saying it was amazing, Gary? Was it amazing <laughs> in a good way or amazing and you thought it was a terrible thing? We thought it was a fucking amazing thing, Gary. Fucking amazing thing, Gary. You think it was probably a bit shit, didn't you, Gary? Mr. Fucking Clean, Gary Lineker, no yellow cards, nothing. Well, Eric got lots of red cards, and he beat the shit out of the Crystal Palace fan. Good for you, Eric. <laughs> Let's play it on. Let's see what else they say. It doesn't matter what, how you provoke by the crowd, yes, or whatever does. language they use to you, you've got to be above it. No, you Good don't. evening. The directors of Manchester United are meeting tonight discussing how to repair the damage done to the club and to the game by a few seconds of ugly violence involving their most mercurial player. The Football Association called it a stain on the game and charged Cantona with bringing the game into disrepute. The police say that in due course they are questioning those involved. Eric Cantona made the short walk from hotel to magistrate's court in good time for 10 o'clock court appearance. Cantona pleaded guilty to a charge of common assault. You are a high-profile figure looked up to by young people. The only appropriate sentence is two weeks imprisonment forthwith. With those words, the Croydon magistrate there's a sort of Crystal Palace supporter. Eight days after being sentenced to two weeks imprisonment by Croydon magistrates after pleading guilty to common assault, Eric Cantona took his appeal against the sentence to the Crown Court. Defending David Paul QC described the magistrate's decision as flawed, contrary to the express will of Parliament. He said that over 96% of convictions for common assault receive non-custodial sentences. Mr Paul said that the magistrates indicated last week that they were sending Eric Cantona to prison because he was a high-profile public figure. Exactly. He urged Judge Ian Davis to treat Eric Cantona as an ordinary man. 
the judge said you know all he did was twat a gobby fan didn't he who deserved yeah, exactly. it behind the scenes they were all wanking themselves stupid because mm. they yeah. knew this was the absolute best news that football has ever had yeah that a cocky a proud upright collar wearing football ponce in eric Cantona, <laughs> art ponce had decided to lamp a cocky fucking chavy prol fucking fam a xenophobic wanker had got it right in the fucking chops and the, everybody the, the, the shock media... on his face though was priceless oh. wasn't it when eric just came towards him but just to set the scene Brilliant. for people that need uh, the memories refreshing, they were playing Crystal Palace away. It was like a midweek match, wasn't it? Cantona was being man-marked by this tenacious Palace defender called Richard Shaw, who stuck to him like a rash and basically That's irritated right. him through the whole of the first half. And he did a good job on it, on it to be fair. So he kept Cantona quiet, and Cantona was getting increasingly irritated by this, and he ended up booting Shaw and then uh, he got sent off and as he was walking off this this fan Matthew Simmons who I always remember how he was dressed he, he was dressed dressed in these like cream chinos and he had a double breasted leather jacket so he was very but he just looked <laughs> like a dick he comes down and the way it's been reported is that he said something like fuck off back to France you French bastard though in court he actually said all I said was an early bath for you, Cantona. <laughs> that was his defence. So, Eric... Well, smoking a pipe. An early bath for you, Cantona. Off you go. Off yeah. you go. So, Eric, then, uh, to everybody's surprise, just launched this Kung Fu kick at him. Oh. Right. He sort of missed, didn't he, but connected. So, it wasn't like he, he knocked him far back, but he remained well. close enough for Eric to throw a few punches at him. Oh, the put him he, he he really clocked him with a punch as well. I yeah, think, you know it was brilliant because it was like you, you know, it was kind of the gobby fan against the super fit sportsman who's absolutely mm. at his wits end, and it was like he slaughtered him, and it was brilliant. Yeah, I reckon Cantona went up about forty percent in every football yeah, fan's he estimation did. after he that. Did. He did because they just thought. You know what? Why can't more footballers just tell their fans to fuck off? What I've read subsequently, which I absolutely loved, was Cantona described it. The feeling of doing what he did is absolutely wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking love him. And I'm still glad I did it, but I was wrong to do it because it ended up, you know, costing the team. I love the fact that he's so unrepentant, and I think that's what people couldn't understand. He was very defiant afterwards. Cantona's an amazing guy. He's mm. I like him as an actor. I've He's never seen actor. him in anything, to be honest. When he does just as an advert, or he did that thing where little film about the guy who's getting messages from Eric Cantona. Oh, it, waiting for Eric. Waiting for Eric. Yeah, oh, I that's couldn't watch that, really... Dave. It looked a very depressing. Ken it is film. quite depressing, but he's yeah. great in it. He he just is earnest mm. in his beliefs, and he's defiant in his beliefs, and it comes through when he does that. I love the fact that when he played for, he made a big thing of it in the evening news, didn't he? The Manchester Evening News, it was like, Eric Cantona, has, he hasn't joined the Cheshire set. No, he's got a house in Boothstown. Yeah. In Salford. Yeah. That, respect to him for that. I loved that. Mm. I thought that was fucking great. I do not want to live with the fucking nouveau riche bourgeoisie in Hale and Altrincham and Bowden. I will have myself a little semi-detached house in Bullstown on the outskirts of the countryside. It is raw, it is rugged, it is dark and grim up north. And this is where I want to live. Not next to Dennis Irwin in his mock Tudor fucking place in the (laughs) cul-de-sac. Fuck that. Yeah. I love that. But we I first found that. that out, didn't we, when the press were camped outside his house after the, yeah. after he did the uh, Kung Fu kick. And if you remember, he came out in that magnificent sort of multicoloured poncho type garment. Brilliant. If you remember it. Brilliant. You know, it's, it's not like a laboured attempt to be fashionable like fucking David Beckham. Cantona no. just did his own shit. He did his own shit. I love him. He was the Francois Truffaut of football. Yeah. The the Roman Polanski. He would just do his own shit, man. 
he didn't give him anything, did he? He didn't apologise. He just didn't speak to the press. He treated them with a the contempt. That and he was much more original than fucking your bloody George Best and your fucking uh, your Frank Worthingtons who like to mm. go out with the women and drink and get really pissed and grow me hair long. Yeah. Cantona was like, you know, when the seagull follows the trawler, you know, it. What? What the fuck's he on about? Mm. This is a mate. This guy's amazing. He thinks he's so pretentious. And there was some time when he was on a beach in France, and a journalist approached him. His wife was pregnant. He did the same fucking thing. He oh, did yeah, some high right. flying fantastic. Yeah. He yeah. did it again, and they had the footage of it. This high flying fucking kung fu kick on the beach as he floors this journalist. <laughs> the man was the real fucking deal. You've got to admire him for that. I mean, at the time. Oh. It was great being a City fan, seeing him get banned, you know, but yeah, I always had admiration for him. And like you said, it, it admiration went up there. Every team loves him get banned mm. because they knew how bloody good he was. Mm. Because the, when he wasn't banned, he was incredible. I mean, he was an incredible footballer. We mustn't forget this. I mean, the bottom line is that you can be a sporting maverick in your personality, but the underlying being a sporting maverick, you've got to be good. And the interesting thing with boycott with Clough, with Botham, with Cantona, they were bloody good. They were bloody good at what they did. And Cantona was, I mean, what an exceptional footballer. Could France have somehow made Zidane and Cantona work together as a team and, you know, they would have just been even a notch above what they were? Yeah. It was such a great... It was never going to happen, was it? There was two... No, I think Amy, Amy Jackie, as the manager at the time, who won the World Cup with him, he did actually explain, he said... Because Cantona, I think, had some sort of self-imposed exile or when he was in Britain, he wasn't being picked because, you know, things yeah. are very... But boycott-esque! Boycott-esque! Yeah. And people were saying that he should be in the team, but, you know, if you remember, France had a bloody good team then and Jackie oh, didn't want to didn't want to spoil that, and he said he wants to give these guys a chance. Uh, a lot of them were young and up and coming, where Cantona had played for France before. So you can understand Jackie's attitude there, couldn't you? Because one, I think he was happy with his team, and two, he didn't want someone like Cantona who could be disruptive potentially coming into the side. So well, you know the proof place. is in the pudding. It was a brilliant side that that French team was amazing. The standout but, player, you know, and it. It possibly would have always been the standout, the ultimate standout player was Zidane. But Cantona was, again, such a unique footballer. The way he played the game, the way he looked on the pitch, his presence, very different from Zidane. But my God, he was great. He was great for United. Well, actually, he was, the weak, he, link, the weak he link was electric. In, the weak link in that France side was their centre forward. Yeah. Stefan Givarch or someone like that. We ended up playing for Newcastle. Yeah, and, and he was yeah. he was pretty shit that centre forward. Yeah, if you could have pushed uh, Zidane up, if you could have pushed Cantona up front and with yeah. Zidane feeding him, wow! If they would have worked together, the strength of personalities, incredible in that French team all round. The strength of personalities, God. Yeah. Know. But you one know, thing amazing. I probably never told you about Cantona is I have got a bit of a personal story uh, about Eric Cantona. Uh, huh? In the fact that he nearly knocked me down, Dave. Get out of yeah. town. And it was actually during his ban. What? I was cycling along on this main road and out of the shell garage, this car comes out and it comes too far, comes very close to me, but I brake and there is Eric Cantona looking startled and alarmed. <laughs> and he was actually, the best bit, he was wearing that multicoloured poncho. But I remember his locking eyes and I felt sorry for him ah. because I'd really startled him. He looked horrified that he might hit you. Yeah, imagine oh, that. Imagine please. the press. Please. Cantona kills City fan. <laughs> That's brilliant. Uh, and and can, I, can I just say, when, when we started talking about Cantona, Lee mentioned about all the clubs he played for and the fouls and all the terrible things. You can actually see on YouTube many of these. I'm, 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 it certainly was the case. I don't know if it's still there because I've not checked recently. But you can see the footage of some of his challenges and some of his misdemeanours before he joined United in the French League. Oh, it's quite remarkable. I mean, the guy, he was a filthy, dirty yeah, bastard. Yeah, I mean, you wonder what was at the heart of that. I think he is just that type of player who plays on the edge. And, you know, if players are oh, pissing yeah. him off, he's going to get them. 
you know. I mean, ironically, he really, really reined that in in United. He did. The, the, he did definitely. The Crystal Palace used to provoke the, him. Absolutely. Yeah. But the the Crystal Palace incident was almost a one-off, and it certainly he certainly cured him after that. Didn't he get sent off twice when he stamped yeah. on John Moncur, and then? The following match, he got sent off against Arsenal. But the Arsenal fans, that was unjust, that sending off. Remember him getting yeah, sent off? Yeah, he was. Uh, it was a very high-tension match, that. And uh, he'd accidentally hit somebody. But then, because the Arsenal players reacted like he'd fucking shot him. Yeah. You know, and they're all over him. Absolutely. And I think you'd agree with me on this, Lee, is that Cantona, nearly always, it was a reactionary piece of behaviour against yeah. very sly defensive work you know unlike someone like Roy Keane who I mean I mean I've got a lot of in these days respect for Roy Keane the way he talks but some of his stuff was like sociopathic for fuck's sake <laughs> I mean well, what? I, like, I still don't think it was as bad as someone like Sooners you know if you see again, some Sooness, footage Sooness. of Sooners playing for Rangers where he's trying Yon- to cripple people yeah, like Yossa Hughes on the fucking pitch for fuck's sake <laughs> yeah. I mean Sooners was a fucking sociopath he was, on the pitch yeah, yeah. You know, and I would I would argue that Keane was a bit like that at the time. You obviously saw more of him than me, but I never I've never thought of Keane as that sort of player. I thought he was a player that got stuck in. Apart from the Haaland thing, where he did actually go out. And I'm, I'm kind of really thinking about the Haaland thing. That yeah. was brutal. <laughs> that, that was, was brutal. Just so deliberate. I'm fucking uh, evil, really. It was. It was. And I can understand every City fan being very upset about that because it was. I mean, don't get me wrong. I remember seeing Roy Keane when he played for Notts Forest, and he was brilliant he's brilliant he was a brilliant footballer and it's kind of like must be so intimidating having him as your assistant manager because he's right you know if you're not pulling your weight you've got to take it on the chin from Roy Keane because he would not accept anything yeah. but fucking was... grade A behaviour yeah. you know interestingly though about Roy Keane I've read his second autobiography when he was a manager and uh he was quite a, a sort of nice, forgiving manager. You know, you wouldn't necessarily mm-hmm. think that, but he, he was always good with the players. And mm. it's, it's interesting that he, he hasn't done as well as perhaps you might have expected. I mean, he's not been at what you'd say a great clubs, has he? You know, Sunderland and Ipswich. No. I like the fact that if he if he's loyal to somebody, if he thinks someone's been straight with him and stood by him, like mm. your Gary Nevels, like your, your Martin O'Neills, he's got nothing but great things to say yeah, I think he needs he's to respect back. the people that he works under yeah. or works with he's got loyalty people if mm. people are fucking are, are not duplicitous and fucking wankers with him yeah. he will stand by you and defend mm. you to the fucking hill and I think that's really really a great ethos to have you know yeah. so I, I, I get the feeling that he'd, he'd be a bloody good friend to have but if you think someone's pulling his fucking plonker like Mick McCarthy was when he was playing for you know, I don't know. I I don't. I think that's the one thing that definitely blocks Roy Keane's copybook. There, I think he was so out of order the way he spoke to Mick McCarthy. I mean, I just kind of love that because you know, I I, all... I know you hate Mick McCarthy. I don't. I don't hate him. Yeah, but that... you, you don't like him particularly. I think he's a decent. I think he's a decent man. It's so false, you know. He talks <laughs> like that all the time. Do you really need to talk like that all the time? Do people really talk like that? Do people, do they not really go, actually, I, I talk like this most of the time. Well, no, I talk like that all the time. <laughs> Deep in football. You think he actually speaks to his wife like that? Hello, love, yeah. Can I have, I have a coffee, some grapefruit and two eggs and some bacon? <laughs> Nobody really talks like that, Nick. Fuck off. Yeah, but... The way he did it, he was just so over the top. You know, all Mick McCarthy had hinted. He just was hated him, didn't he? He, hated. Was, he was fitter than he was pretending he, or saying he was, you know, because I think Roy Keane said that he was accusing him as feigning injury. They came up, I can't be fucking arsed with all this. Bullshit. He was horrible, though, wasn't he? Niall Quinn, who uh, is, uh, you know, a very decent, reasonable guy and a, a mate of Keane, I think. Yeah, was just horrified by it. It was, it was really just shocked beyond belief. That's what I mean about Roy Keane's sociopathy, though, because that really came across in that World Cup. 
Roy Keane was just like a fucking sociopath, and he just fucking shot all over everybody. Didn't give a didn't give a shit. And kind of, I mean, he's a sporting maverick. Roy Keane is a sporting maverick. You've got to and you you've got to say yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just yeah. fucking the way he just yeah. shot over the whole of the fucking island scene. But I do love his feud with Ferguson. Where you going, Roy? Don't you fucking accuse me. Come on, you come on, girl. Come on, girl, Roy. Come on, girl. <laughs> oh, my God. It must be so funny. Mm. To be a flat wall there. Jesus Christ. I think what was winding Keane up in that situation was Ireland as an international football team were ran like a, a pub team, weren't they? The facilities yeah. and the hotels that they were given. Just like the Irish shit. FA was so cheap. You yeah. know, and they were, were treating Ooh. him really badly. And Keane, obviously, what's travelling. the matter, right? You're not happy now. Yeah, but I imagine a lot of those players in that squad were probably at lower status clubs or even in yeah. lower divisions. Whereas Keane's used to travelling with United, isn't he? And you know, yeah, getting right, the best of the best. Dead short, right? You've got your own room. You you don't have to share with Mick now. <laughs> I wonder who he did share with. This is probably they probably had to share rooms, didn't they? I've got you. <laughs> All players, they still share rooms. I think that's good for team morale. I was gonna, we were going to put you in with the manager. Would you be all right with that, with Mick? I oh. think he might have shared with Nile Quinn. Actually, could be wrong. Yeah, you want to put you in with Nail? Put you with Nail? Can you imagine it? You know, I bet it was like I'm sharing a room. What the fuck are you on about? Can't you sharing a fucking room? It's probably oh, a youth hostel. Oh god, <laughs> terrible. Yeah. But Roy I mean, Keane is an amazing pundit, and uh, I hardly see him now because the Champions League isn't on ITV. So, uh, what's he even on now? I've not seen him on anything other than on YouTube. Hmm. He's on a thing with Gary Neville called Off the Ball, I think it's called. Oh yeah, and and it's really good. It's and you'll love it if you haven't seen it. And anyone else listening to this, I recommend you listen to it, watch it. Is because he goes through his career. He talks about Ferguson. He talks about his time in Ireland. He talks about his time with Martin O'Neill. Gary Neville barely gets a word in edgewise because he's a great storyteller, to be yeah, fair. Yeah. He really, and it was set in Ireland, so they were mainly pushing the questions at Roy. And to be fair, when Gary Neville does speak about things, he's very articulate in the way that he talks about Roy as a leader. He says he was an amazing leader. And he, he said, in a way, United had two leaders in Ferguson and Keane. Yeah. And he said it was almost inevitable that eventually they would clash. I think hearing Roy Keane's side, I think it's entirely believable. You know, I would, I don't like Ferguson, you know, I'll make no bones about that. But no. I think Roy Keane's grievances with Ferguson are entirely justified. You know, he, he wrote a couple of books and he was slagging off the players that brought him the success and Keane thought that was out of order. Mm. And he's called him for that. And uh, yeah, yeah. Reading Roy's book, as he talks about the sly sort of way United were trying to get rid of him, and yeah, uh, and you know, he's not shown him the respect that he deserves. And that that is in this uh, YouTube. It's very good actually because there's uh, there's, a, there's a good hour and a half, two hours of this, mm. and he talks at length over this that he feels that it was very sly the way he was treated, very sly. Uh, by Ferguson and the management above Ferguson that it was obviously I I might be wrong but I I seem to remember that he had this serious hip injury didn't he and Ferguson is is pretty ruthless Mm. in getting rid of players that indeed are are past it or they've lost a bit of pace I don't think he wanted a full on confrontation with him no he didn't no he didn't Ferguson was getting older Keane was very forthright person he did, I don't think he wanted that kind of probably I wouldn't be surprised if Ferguson <clears throat> was jealous of his influence in the dressing room quite possibly Do you know what I mean Ferguson yeah. was a guy that wanted total control he didn't like big uh, time Charlies did he as he famously called Paul Ince he wanted them on the pitch delivering the he goods did, yeah but, but he, he didn't, didn't want, want them in the dressing room yeah you can't have it all you know so this is why there was that rotation I think mm. and it, I mean, he know, did a very good job at controlling the team, didn't he? I mean, you've got, you've got to give him credit for that. But I think what what Keane talks about there, though, with Ferguson, he's, he was very good at picking his coaches, picking his players, and he said he wasn't the yeah, kind he wasn't of man- a day-to-day manager. coach, was he? Ferguson? No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't quite the people think. Hmm. I think what he what he did is he got the right balance. 
to be fair, I think that's what Guardiola's doing at City. I mean, Guardiola's very clever at that. Well, I think he does. And I can imagine Guardiola and, being well involved in training and stuff. Oh, he's very much yeah. so that, that. But what he's also good, like Ferguson, is he's picking his, his right-hand men. Yeah. And what's, what's so funny in that, I have to say it, I, I'm going to say it, you know, I'm going to have a bit of a laugh at the expense of a, of a City and a United hero here. But Brian what's Kim. so funny... Oh, it's hilarious. What is he it's there so for? Brilliant looking at kiddo there, you know. What is he there for? <laughs> he books the hotels for away games. He's like a he's like a human coat hanger wearing a fucking bubble coat. A city bubble coat. He says nothing. He does nothing. He's like a fucking ghost in the room. A, yeah. a, a city legend ghost in the room. It's incredible. What is he doing? Every time you see him, he's just collecting the balls at the end of training, I, I, isn't he? Every episode I watched, I said to George, my son, I said to, to, to George, look, look, Brian Kidd, there, say nothing, say nothing, doing nothing, just standing there. And a couple of times, he looks at his watch. Guardiola's giving it the full fucking pep speech. And he's like, little look at the watch. He's thinking, it's nearly tea time. I'll get some tea in a minute. Oh, I love this bubble coat. It's really warm. <laughs> City's a really good club. So warm in City. Well, Ferguson, so when he has, I have well, a four by four, a top of the range four by four, and a big house. Mm, I have a big fat pension. Mm. Do, I do fuck all. He does nothing. What does he do? It doesn't appear to. But when Ferguson had him as his number two, a lot of people said like how integral Kid was to United's success, right? But Ferguson took real exception to this, and in his first autobiography, he spent the whole chapter, I think, running so Brian Kidd down. Yeah, he really <laughs> turned against him because he couldn't stand the credit that he was getting. Really? Yeah. Wow. When Franny Lee took over City, if you remember in the uh, mid-90s, when we got yeah. Swales out, uh, Franny Lee wanted Brian Kidd to be the manager, which seemed to be quite an inspired choice at the time. Yeah. Uh, and Kidd was tempted, apparently. Because no one would have thought that that's who would go after. But Kidd ended up turning City down. And then eventually he ended up at Blackburn, didn't he? But he did terribly. Right. Terrible? Yeah, he ended up getting was, relegated. Was he not? Was he not so. Didn't he have a period at Everton as well as manager? I seem to remember. Possibly. But maybe it was Blackburn. I don't know, maybe I number was, two. But I think the only team he's properly managed is Blackburn. It was Blackburn. Yeah, he was rubbish. He did now. Yeah. And see, some people are just number twos, aren't they? They never, they never can make that step up. Choice. He's a fucking cat with nine lives. Because there he was at United, getting the number two job at United and bloody being, you know, Ferguson's right hand man or whatever, you know. Mm. Being a, maybe a good coach. I'm sure, obviously, he was a great player and a breadth of knowledge to offer the, the younger ones or something. And look at him now at City. It's amazing. It's a talk about the football fucking gravy train. Yeah. Jesus. I mean, the Guardiola's backroom staff is massive enough. I don't know why he needs a kiddo there. Well, you know, it's 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 a he drop must, in he the must ocean. offer something. I mean, he maybe must. we well, could do a we could investigate his... the mystery of why Brian Clough is at not Brian Clough, <laughs> Brian Kidd is right. at City. It's... You know, I mean. I'll try and put the feelers out, see if I can find... There is a man with a legacy, and they're both, they're both the Manchester clubs, loved by both clubs. Kid, when I started watching City in the late 70s, was a massive player. I, I was, I was quite horrified when I found that he was more of a United legend than a City legend. I mean, he ended up... <laughs> this is the thing I, I want. Think, I, I think he amazing. ended up going to Everton, because I think possibly Malcolm Allison flopped him like he did all the other good players, but... That's right, because he, yeah. he had a successful period as a player for Everton. Maybe that's yeah. what I mixed it up with mm. as a player. But a bit like Peter Barnes, he had this sort of history of oh, both Barnes clubs. Barnes is my favourite, yeah. Not a maverick, but... Mate, uh, do you know something? The... I, there was a match where Peter Barnes scored a couple of goals for United before joining City. Do you remember? He rejoined City. Yes. Because he obviously was a pit... And he scored a couple of goals. And I saw him in Hale Video Shop, right? And I went, oh, well done. You did re- great, great performance the other night for United. He'd, he'd actually rejoined for City that particular day because he went back yeah. from United back to City in a heartbeat. Was it, it was Ron really Atkinson or Ferguson that signed him then? It would have been under Atkinson, I think. Yeah, because I remember him playing wow. in a derby Long- against us and it was like, oh my God, Peter Barnes is in a red shirt. We couldn't believe it. It was weird because I'd said to him as a United fan, I went, oh, he did really well there, Peter. And, you know, he went, oh, thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. And he bloody joined City. 
rejoin City. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, and that's there's very few p- players that have been able to do that. You know, Brian Kidd was one. Peter Barnes was the other. Who had, uh, but but Tevez. Brian Tevez, of course, Tevez, mm. fucking hell, yeah. But it was but very Brian, rare at the time, wasn't it? You, you know, very rare. I think the only other one I can remember from that era was Peter Bodak. Wow, I, well, I, I don't, don't remember, remember him at City. I really, I don't remember him at all. You don't probably don't yeah. remember him United. No, uh, I only remember Brian Kidd and Peter Barnes. Can't really Wynn think of Davis, Wynn Davis, who was in the seventies team. Played for United and City. Very few, isn't mm. it? You know, it's like Everton and Liverpool. I don't. It's totally, yeah, I thought it was totally I think weird. Nick Barnby is possibly the only player. Oh yeah, I Nick think Barnby played for both. But that's. I remember how weird I thought it was when Michael Owen came to United for a yeah. brief period of time. That was and won the bullshit. league. And won like the fucking league. Four sub appearances or whatever it was. Yeah, I mean, basically scored the fucking winning goal to win the league. You know, and that's it. Bye bye, Michael. That's Did it. it? Well, he scored. He scored a couple of crucial, important goals, yeah, didn't he? Yeah. He did. He did fuck all, really. To be honest, strange, yeah. strange man. Anyway, but, Dave, uh, we'll end this uh, section. Oh man, of the it's pod, been brilliant. But, but yeah, this so been... uh, we will continue this subject uh, very soon and uh, talk about more sporting mavericks. One of which won't be Alan Bernard Brazil, who is just a fat-faced prick. Thank you. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> it's been joyous. I really yeah. love that. He's like you say, this is a better football podcast than fucking Peter Crouch's. Yeah, loved it.